Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, Royfield, it's the 10th of October. We've got, what, 24, 20, yeah, 24 days to the United States election. Uh, the president seems to be on a, in a drug-induced manic phase. And, uh, you know, I've been, I've been like watching the polls obsessively. I'm sure everyone who's listening to this right now is just, you know, it's just full. It's just like one one very taut rubber band of anxiety. And I'm sure even by the time you know between when we recorded this and when it's come out, like something else crazy has probably happened. What an odd time! And I'm glad you and I get to talk about it. It is uh, very much an odd time, and we just have the feeling that um, everything is is in fast forward. You know, um, gone are the days when um, a news story would dominate the news for a week, maybe 10 days. Right. Uh, now it's 10 minutes yeah. and it's utterly breathless. And, uh, we, you know, we, we need a break for the sake of uh, our collective, for society and for the world's yeah. um, uh, mental health. We need a break from this constant, constant news cycle which forever is seems to be trying to outdo itself with the with the latest outrage and and i i remember seeing a tweet i mean god this was back in june or something so uh it the fact that i still remember it is how apt it is the um it said something to the effect of future historians will uh will be asked which quarter of 2020 they specialized in for their dissertation right <laughs> Um, and you know, of course I'm recording from San Mateo where, uh, in, in Peninsula, California, where right now we're not, but we've been dealing with fires all the time. Um, it's not just the president, but I do think, you know, right now, obviously Paul, like the United States election is certainly dominating our own, uh, you know, our own headspace, right. It's, it's paying, paying rent in all of our minds. Um, I, my, Friends on social media who uh, somehow still manage, at least for me, to to be a bit across the political spectrum. You know, I think I, I remember specifically when the race was looking pretty close, and the um, uh, I forget what did the president do. I th- it was somewhere between the whole like 
Louis DeJoy uh, USPS thing, which we've, of course, now mostly forgotten, and him uh, declaring... Oh, yeah, and, and him, like, suggesting that he might just get Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania state legislature, to, like, give him their electoral votes anyway, even if he lost the state, which he probably will. Um, I, there was there was so much anxiety that people were coming to me because I am a gun owner about how do I get a gun? How do I get ammunition? What do I do? You know, all these people that have like, you know, they're they're very pro gun control kind of folks coming to me saying, well, I think I need a gun now. And that's when I knew like, OK, this is bad. Please do not get a gun like it cannot help you. And um, and that that peak of tension seems to have eased off just a little bit. But um, I think one of the things I want to talk about today with you, if you're down, I know I know we're going to be talking about the Republican Party as a whole, but um, and maybe the conservatives in the UK if we want. But but one thing one thing I'd like love to think about out loud with you is, you know, after November 3rd, what could happen in the United States, depending on the result of November 3rd, you know? Listen, uh, I, I, I'm down for the conversation. And just to go back on something that you said right at the start mm-hmm. of, um, I was going to call it a question. It was a question that you posed, at least in the end, but it started off by being more of a uh, an overview and a statement, a statement of facts. Uh, but in terms of 2020, uh, the, the, the article that I read was that 2020 is um, 1968. Uh, it is 2020 is 1929, mm-hmm. and 2020 is and I'm missing one. 1918, probably the pandemic. Yes, there yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, this is such a pivotal year in in so many different ways. However, I would slightly caution with the general premise of uh, of your title about are we seeing the end, end of conservative parties and i will expand on my my thoughts and feelings um as as we talk on later sir mm. um i yeah i mean i i think it's an interesting question to ask i don't know if i'm coming in with the hypothesis that the republican or or the republican party is doomed um i know less about the demographic trends of the conservative party i think the republican party is in a pickle uh and i think the actually uh, the the I, I could dive right into one of the things I'm thinking about, which is, of course, I I can't help um, like I'm a big I, I don't know I I find myself a kindred spirit with Nate Silver um, in that you know 538 covers both elections and sports right and you mm-hmm. think like well those things aren't all that related it's like well if with the like with the right kind of twisted statistical mind they're the same thing and. Um, and so I, of course, like have been following the polls obsessively. And one thing that is true as of today, uh, or I don't know if it's true, but but where we are today is that um, according to 538's uh, trending, right, what they do is they, they, you know, they build these trend lines uh, among many other things. But one thing they do is they build these trend lines based on, um, you know, a, a sampling of many, many polls. And they weight them based on, you know, the demography of the polls and how reliable they are and blah, 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 blah. But um, they, their state of the game is that nationally, Biden is up by 10 points. He has 52.1% support right now to Trump's 42%. 
which is interesting because it leaves 6% just hanging out there, probably 1% to Hawkins and 1% to Jorgensen and 4 somehow undecided. But the um, that's a very big lead. And I did a little research and it's a bigger lead. It's a, it's a bigger lead than um, any of Obama, Bush or Clinton ever enjoyed, except for 1992, because Ross Perot was in there and and slurped up 18 points. Um, actually, no, sorry. No, it is a bigger lead than, than Clinton enjoyed. Um, and so it's, I think it, like if the election were held today and that and that 10-point lead held, it would be the biggest win since Reagan won re-election against Dukakis. Or was it Dukakis? I don't even remember. But um, that's a pretty big that's a pretty big margin, and of course there's Mondale, all this anxiety. Reagan and Mondale. Reagan Mondale, and Mondale. Thank you. Yeah, Bush ran against Dukakis. Reagan ran against Mondale. Thank you. Uh, that's that's embarrassing. Getting the getting the Brit to educate me on my own on my own history. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I've just a, done a podcast on on Reagan, so um, uh, cool. I, I'm up on my Reaganese at the moment. Awesome. So, so anyway, we've got a big uh, we've got a very big lead for Mr. Biden here, and. It, it doesn't look like there's going to be much that can really change it. Again, the whole point of the October surprise, you never see it coming. But, um, but you know, Trump has really struggled to get more than 42% of the vote um, or of, of, you know, polls. Sorry, I don't want to say the vote. Um, and so this, we could be heading for a landslide, which I happen to think is it's important because I think a lot of Americans are on edge. If it's close, they're going to think someone stole it. Or someone messed with it, and and you know it didn't reflect the will of the people. And at that point, you've got all these all these other kinds of problems where Americans lose faith in their democratic institutions even more than we have already. Um, uh, but anyway, what I what I wanted to do was was just share my optimism that I think it's going to be a fairly decisive election, and that we're not going to have those questions over whether whether like hanky panky has has messed with it. And uh, I wanted to see if. I guess I want to start to see if like you think that, you know, you, you see it, you see it differently. I see it very slightly differently. I think if Trump was to get 42% of the vote, yes, that's going to be de- decisive in terms of the electoral college and the key battleground states. All right. So that in recent American history, that is utterly a blowout. Right. But when you consider uh, what this man has done in office, how, and let's, I'm going to try and be as charitable as possible, all the norms that he has shredded, right. uh, financial probity, um, you know, to completely and utterly has built, the wall that he's built has been around his own financial dealings. Right. The again, let's just just try and be fair and not be partisan. The fact that he is routinely trashed the advice of the American uh, security apparatus and has basically gone along with things that Putin has said or even the Chinese have said to the detriment of looking at foreign interference in American elections. What American president has basically said, I do not believe in the the, the security apparatus of America. Just think about that on its own. Oh, yeah. So when you look at, and these are things which are incontrovertible, so I'm not being anti-Trump by saying that. He said it repeatedly. I do not care what the CIA have said or Homeland Security have said. 
right? I believe Putin, right? So when you just look at those two things, before you look at the fact that he doesn't come out and disavow very clearly and strongly right-wing white supremacist racists, he doesn't. Everything else then you can say about Donald Trump, there's some there's some level of nuance you can say, right? But these, these are three things incontrovertible. The fact that he still commands over 40% of the vote of, of Americans, I would say is actually troubling for the short to, to medium term in American history. It shows you how divisive American society has become and it's not healthy. It's yes. not healthy. This needs to be a, th a low 30s blowout. Right. And then you can see that lump and mass of Americans who are fundamentally in the mid in the middle. And from a European perspective, as I, the way that I look at American politics, they 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 might call themselves centrists, but really they're kind of right of center, soft right of center. Sure. Maybe they're Romney Republicans. Yeah. yeah. So they believe in fiscal probity, they would say. Uh, you reduce the size of the government, but they believe in kind of soft liberal leaning. So they're not anti uh, gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera. As long as you don't come bother me with your strident uh, liberal views, they're kind of okay. Right. I would say. 42% of Americans still voting for somebody who has shattered the norms that he has is still dangerous. Yes. I think you're right. I think I have, I think I have lowered my expectations about what a good outcome looks like this year. I think a close outcome, you know, a, a close election would be frightening. And, and I actually, I'm, I'm going to be recording a, an episode uh, with with Xander later today on this. So uh, those of you listening to Mid Atlantic, uh, if you want to hear more about what I'm just about to talk about, I'm just plugging it. Reconsider um, is my my normal show, and we're going to be talking about media technology, how it changes over time, and how it can be used to how like new emergent media technology can be used to manipulate. And the hypothesis that I'm sitting on is that we just have we have these two totally divergent, and I think this part's obvious, right? We have two totally divergent versions of reality where we just don't agree on the base facts. Like we're not looking at the same set of facts and going like, I really like that versus I really don't like that. I think we're saying, well, this is what's going on. It's like, what? No, literally none of that is true. This is what's going on. And, mm. and it, it, I think, I think if I'm right about that being the problem, it gives me a little bit more, I guess, faith in humanity where, where I might think to myself, I might think to myself, oh, if I was like, if I believed the same set of facts as this person who's really excited about Trump, uh, maybe I would be really excited about Trump, right? And, and, you know, if I believed that, for example, you know, uh, Biden and Clinton and Obama were deeply corrupt, and uh, and I believe that you know they're they have made up a bunch of stuff to try to get him, and they failed, right? They <clears throat> they made up the Russia thing, they failed, right? They made up the you know the tax return thing, they failed, and um, you know and and the economy was doing 
you know, the economy was doing great. Median income was, and this is true, like the median income, uh, for, like, so the average, the, the like median Americans household income was uh, the highest it had ever been, even accounting for inflation, um, you know, right before the coronavirus. And I believe, I don't know, that, that you know, all this stuff, right? And, and if that was the set of facts I was sitting there thinking about and saying, I'm like, you know what, this has actually gone pretty well. And, um, you know, and I just wasn't exposed to Mattis's letter saying that the president is a, you know, threat to the constitution or like the, didn't believe there was a list of those like 500 national security experts that said, um, the president is a threat to national security and stuff like that. I might support the guy. And I think the hard part right now, the like work we got to do, I think is less that, you know, cause I have a lot of friends that say like, oh God, 42% of Americans are fascists. We're doomed, right? It's like, no, they're not fascist. Like, yes, there are, there are probably some people who are fascists, right? And But it's like, is it 42% of Americans? No. Is it 4.2? Maybe. Um, and and so, like, I think the work we got to do, and I, this is less daunting work to me. I think the work that we have to do is find a way to settle the, the long-term kind of, like, narrative exposure gap rather than try to convince what's 42% of 350 million, right? So like a couple hundred, you know, a hundred, uh, 130 million people to not be fascist. Like, whew, that, that it feels like a less steep hill to climb. I, I'm going to, again, slight, slightly disagree with you. Mm. I think... Well, if, look, if we just agreed with each other, this wouldn't be a fun episode. So bring it up. Okay, all right. Here is here is my hot take on fascism in the United States. The amount of Americans that would identify as being fascists, probably about 4%, right? Could even be less, but it's going to be over 1%. It would actually say, you know what, I actually am, right? There's going to be a lot of Americans who do not identify with fascism, but... If you laid out the basic tenets of, well, hard right, corporatist state, strong military, um, bellicose uh, language used to denigrate minorities and also to project power uh, um, across your borders, um, getting rid of uh, democracy, have it... uh, and and using and using the cover of the constitution to do it as Mussolini did, or even Hitler did, right? They didn't have they didn't have a coup d'état in the traditional sense. They Correct. co-opted bits of the constitution to have a national emergency. Correct. That they withered the institutions of the state, right? Correct. If you were to lay out fascism in that way, and that. Uh, people who are in the majority are being oppressed by people in the in the minority, and that around that is identitarian politics. I would say a strong twenty five percent of Americans would line up actually with fascist beliefs. They wouldn't identify them as such. Right. They would call themselves good old Americans. Right. Right. So. We, we, I think we have to be really careful with, with, with the labels uh, that we use. And because they become a way for us to hit each other over the head, that you are a 
democratic socialist, as if to say that's anything terrible, right? But in America, it's used as an utter slur. Um, I wouldn't call those 25% of Americans actually fascist, but they definitely would sign up to a textbook definition of what fascism actually is. Mm. And the terrible thing about Trump is, and Trump supporters, is the vast majority know that he is a pretty amoral and transactional guy. Now, that's, amoral, that's yeah. yeah, amoral is me putting um, you know, a very emotive uh, label on it. But let's go to just a transactional. He has no core beliefs that he actually believes in other than self-preservation. And the, th and the fact of the matter is, most Republican voters know this, but they turned a blind eye because they are so worried about the other lot. Right. So it doesn't matter that their guy is fundamentally a bad guy. It's what about the other lot? And that's a terrible thing. And for somebody who... You know, unlike on your podcast where you have to be, um, you know, in the middle, just displaying the facts. I'm avowedly left of left of center, but um, I am a consensualist. You know, I don't believe in uh, left of center politics to the to the destruction of, of all else. I want to have the broadest possible coalition with me as possible, and I think that's incredibly important. But. We we have to we have to really identify that as being the key reason why Republicans can vote for somebody who is not a George W. Bush figure. Right. You know, you can be left of center now and actually look at those as halcyon years in terms of yeah. a commander in chief who understood he was a president of all America, not just the red states. Donald Trump talks like he has no he has no responsibility and no sense of governorship over half of the United States. Correct. Yeah, I, I would I would agree he's been explicit about that. You know, this should be if you are um an American patriot who believes in the 50 states, the stars and the stripes, the fact that a commander in chief can so utterly turn a blind eye to half the country should be something which is worrying. But so many Republicans just go, well, you know, he's our guy. Yeah, that that is fair. Right? Your your what 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 does seem to be true about many people who still support the president is is that I it it that I, I speak from like anecdotal uh, kind of anecdotal experience rather than data because I think this is hard data to pull from polls. So I have to be a little careful in how, how certain I am, but there is a, they've deprioritized the, the like institutions and systems that preserve democracy long-term. Right. And so it's less important to them that, the election be as fair as possible. It is most important that they win. It is less important to them that, you know, the, to your point, like the president preserve 
a tradition of um of go yeah governing for all americans rather than just their quote-unquote base uh it is most important that you know the president do what do what you know what we like right and um we we you know and and what what do we do about this shift in priorities i think is a really good question um because i think the the that like the, the the almost like mythical or or um or almost like religious love and respect for our democratic institutions as the basis of our patriotism is so important to preserving the Republic long-term, right? The idea that, you know, if, if, you know, it's so important that every American have it, have it in their hearts such that, okay, we're going to like fight and tear and claw and yell and scream during the election. And then boom, November 3rd, who won? Okay. That guy's our president, right? Or that, sorry, that person's our president. Okay, fine. Let's let's carry on, right? And like the fact that we're not sure that's going to happen is awful and a really really bad state for us. I, um, you know, I know, I know. I, I think a lot of people don't have the. Uh, d well, th that doesn't matter. I there. I remember reading Mike Duncan's "The Storm Before the Storm." And uh, I picked it back up recently because I was like, oh, man, there's a lot that's like there's a lot that's a, that's getting to be a little frighteningly similar about the fall of the Roman Republic with the fall of uh, well, with what's going on now. And, you know, what what Duncan called it was a breakdown of most myorum, which is the uh, uh, the Latin the Latin term for essentially like political tradition or like the rules of the game. Um, and it wasn't written down anywhere. It was just how things were done and what would happen is like one side would break things a little bit and the other side would say like, well look we can't compete you know we can't compete if we're the only ones following the rules and you're not because like you've got you know mobs running around the streets hitting people over the head with sticks um and intimidating you know intimidating our voters for the tribunate and stuff like that so we have to counter or else we'll just keep losing right we can't we can't just tolerate that and so of course uh as soon as like the the as soon as the agreement between in their case like the populares and the optimates broke down there was an accelerating um there was an accelerating the, the as soon yeah as soon as like you kind of broke through the first time um and had this feedback loop between these two groups it, it accelerated and and then literally turned into a big civil war now i don't think that we're at serious risk of like any real civil war here because there's so much that's different including the fact that we don't have military troops that are loyal to individual people. They're loyal to the 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 nation, but um, but I but, but, but what yeah. we do have that no other I use this in in air quotes advanced democracy has hmm. is self proclaimed militias wandering around and going into flashpoints where tensions are high, going across straight uh, state lines and shooting people i didn't say doesn't there would happen be in canada yeah. doesn't happen in britain right. germany france italy spain holland belgium japan yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I get Australia, it. new zealand you know name your uh 
advanced economy, it doesn't happen. So oh, is America looking at a civil war in circa 1861 to 1865? Almost probably not. Is America potentially looking at high levels of civil disturbance? Yes. Most probably. Or, or at least there's a high probability. Yes. And because of the amount of guns and the fact that uh, there are these self-declared militias in just about every state, um, it's a, a potent cocktail uh, if you have a, an election which one side of America, and I'm talking about the 25%, I'm not talking about all Trump supporters right. by right. any stretch of the imagination, can turn round and hold on to some crumbs of delegitimizing the result. Right. Right. And and I think the I think anyone who thinks that such a thing is really far-fetched has to have been brought back down to earth with the recent revelation from the FBI that 10 white, you know, 10 crazy white dudes were plotting to kidnap the governor of Michigan and put her on trial because Trump tweeted liberate Michigan, right? There's like, there is of, you know, cause, cause like, yeah, I, I, I think like breaking, you know, when you're breaking down Trump supporters, you can like draw these, these hard lines. Like, yeah, there's the 25% that, that like believe that Trump winning is more important than our democratic institutions. And then, you know, and then there's just like kind of the suburban moms who like, you know, who, who, who generally think everything, like everything is actually just better and, and, and they don't see all the bad stuff about them, but you know, you can keep slicing these groups down, 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 and down, down. And, uh, you know, you get, you, if you, if you put them all on a spectrum, like you go on this long tail and you can like circle that part on the long tail of this curve and say, there are people that like have basically decided the guy is God or sent by God, that everything he says is basically the voice of God. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and that like, and, 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 you know, and they like listen to QAnon and like, they somehow think that every like dumb thing that Trump says is secretly smart because he's playing 3d chess. And so it's so smart that we're not even going to try to understand what it is. Um, but we are going to like, just follow whatever he says. And so the, I, I, you know, the thing I'm worried about is he loses and he goes basically like liberate America, not liberate Michigan, but liberate America, right? Like the Democrats stole the election because of course the president's going to say that no matter the result, right? And this is something where we're like, no, I don't think any American can in good conscience sit there and say like, no, the president's going to, uh, if the if the vote was fair, he's totally going to respect the results, right? It's, you know, it's, it's he's only going to, He's only gonna make a fight if, if you know, he has good reason to believe it was stolen. It's like that's clearly not true, right? If he loses, he's gonna freak out, and he's gonna say it was stolen. And like, how many of these guys are gonna act like those ten dudes who who tried to who who plotted to kidnap the governor of Michigan for you know for for her coronavirus lockdown policy? Um, you know, if 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 we have even a couple million Americans who are armed, who think that the election was just stolen because the president said so, and that seems to be enough, um, we're going to have a bad time. 
I, you might be moving back to the United States at the wrong time, Rayfield. <laughs> you know, um, my, my, I believe in the commons, that the old expression that there is fundamentally the middle ground where people come and meet mm. and they exchange ideas and they, and they talk. And what was important in all Western democracies uh, circa, let's say, um, 1945 to at least the late 1970s was the implicit commons. So Ameri if you really looked at the needle of American politics, mm. whether it went right or left, actually in terms of policies, it didn't really go that far. Right. You know, civil rights uh, legislation started under Eisenhower, a Republican, seriously started. You could argue it was tr Truman and the uh, desegregating the army. But let's say in terms of affecting the average American on the street, upsetting uh, bits of the South, the white South, it's Eisenhower. Right. Okay. And then it carries on through Johnson. Um, and it was, and it was, the Civil Rights Act was like, was this, uh, amazingly bipartisan there was like bipartisan support and bipartisan opposition like it's it's nixon classic for it. exactly nixon was for it yeah all right you look at the united kingdom uh the national health service so socialized medicine uh for our american friends uh, just the fact that everybody regardless of income uh, will be seen by the state if they fall sick. No one becomes bankrupt because they've got uh, cancer and they can't afford their treatment, et cetera, et cetera. That's set up by a left-wing government, but it's kept on. It's sustained by various right-wing governments. Yeah. So the actual needle of politics doesn't massively move uh, right to left for some 30-odd years. We need to reclaim that. And I... and. And we need to reclaim that because what Trump has successfully done is to delegitimize very, lots of organs of state. So he's done this through, legis uh, through legislation. He's done a lot of it actually just through tweet, through right. rhetoric. And that's the reason why what you outline is so dangerous. It would have been, bear in mind that if you are a conservative and Trump is not a conservative, whatever Trump is, right. he's not a conservative. Just like, just because somebody's right of center does not mean that they're a conservative. Fascists and Nazis actually are revolutionaries, but they sit, yeah, right of center. So Trump is, is something else. He's not a conservative, but you have so many conservatives who believe in the constitution donald trump does not believe in the american constitution he doesn't he wouldn't say the things that he says if he did but you have so many people who see themselves as conservatives who are going along with the delegitimizing of the american electoral process and this is highly dangerous it's highly unusual mm. and again i have to keep saying this in an advanced uh, democracy. I'm, I'm always putting that in air quotes. I don't know people to get upset and oh, what do you mean that my country's not advanced? But in terms of countries that have decades forward slash some of them centuries of democratic rule where right. parties from one stripe change uh, go in and out of government, the United Kingdom, 
you know, we haven't had a, a revolution or a coup d'etat since the 17th century, and we've had polit politicians of different stripes come in and out of power. Okay. And one of the reasons why you can do that is because you have right thinking politicians of all stripes legitimizing the vote, legitimizing things like the postal service, legitimizing the very organs of state. And this for me is the most dangerous thing. It's not that Trump is saying this, this is dangerous, don't get me wrong. Right. But there are people like Mitch McConnell who is a conservative. He's not a Trumpite. He's a conservative. You have many conservatives that actually understand what this is actually, potentially what this is doing to, uh, to the American um, state and have not said, no, Mr. President, clearly you cannot say this. Mitch McConnell has half-heartedly, I would say, said, no, whatever the result of the election is, is, is that's the result. But what he should be saying is he should be saying it all day, every day, because we cannot give fuel to the 25 percent of Americans who really say to hell with the Constitution, to hell with political norms, to hell with uh, consensual politics. I just want my own way. And I think it is legitimate that the president on a losing ticket can send out teams of lawyers to a whole load of states to delegitimize postal votes and then create just about enough confusion so that within those states, if they are if they are, have right-leaning um, legislators, we can get them to appoint a uh, Trump voting electors for the Electoral College. You know, this, you can do all of that through the Constitution, right? Right, But it's wrong. Yeah. There are, there are political norms. <clears throat> and it behoves all right-thinking, I mean right-leaning now, right-leaning conservatives who say they believe in the Constitution to stand up very clearly and say no. The result of the election will be the result. And as Americans, we have to abide with it. Right. Otherwise, therein lies civil disturbance and violence and murder on, on a scale which America will have not have seen since uh, 1865. Will it be, you know, blues and greys? No, it will not be anywhere near that. However, you will not have seen this level of violence, at least until since the 19, the 19, uh, the 1920s, when there were so many anti-black riots all throughout the United States and black people, whether it was in Tulsa or Chicago, etc., were killed with impunity by right wing militias. Right. Well, I, I guess I, I'm sitting here thinking, like, I don't have much to add to your point. Um, you know, how do we fix it? Good question. Long road. Do we need, you know, does does Biden, after he invariably wins the election, uh, does he need to, you know, does does he need to be a, a you know, kind of special, a, an especially good leader in the United States? Yes. Um, one thing we'll be talking about on Reconsider is journalistic, like the emergence of journalistic standards in social media, the way that we had 
in other forms of news media um, and why that why that has historically mattered. Um, one thing I'm if if you don't mind me changing topics a bit, I know one question that you asked um, kind of in that that prompted us having this conversation was essentially like is the Republican Party long term doomed? You know, assuming that assuming that the United States doesn't just like catch fire and burn to the ground and our democratic institutions um, our democratic institutions persevere, all good stuff. Um, but you know, it's a very white party. I've got some data about this up. It's a very white party. It's a bit of an old party. Uh, it's a male party and, uh, you know, the, the number of old white males, uh, it's a very like, you know, evangelical Protestant party. Um, and like all those things that we use to describe the demography of Republicans, like all of those are going down and, uh, one reason we know this is that you know Arizona used to be solidly red. It's a it's a swing state. Uh, Texas is you know Texas used to just be it, nobody bothered with Texas, right? Now you know Biden probably won't win Texas, but he could. I mean, maybe. Um, and uh, and you know to what extent? You know, to what extent are the Republicans, you know, the Republicans do seem to be just like doubling down on their old on their old ways and further and further alienating, um, you know, non white males. I'm looking at Pew. uh, I'm looking at Pew Research, who are I think they're the gold standard of this kind of stuff. Um, But they you know, if we look at. uh, Excuse me, if we look at. uh, Race in the United States and party affiliation, um, you know, we, we see these massive gaps where, okay, if you're white, you're like slightly more likely to be a Republican. And if you're anything that's not white, you are not only very unlikely to be a Republican, but over time you have become less and less likely to become Republican. Um, and that is, uh, women have become less likely to be a Republican. So from 94 to 2017, it dropped from, Thirty-one um, percent to twenty-five percent. Now that uh, they're in, independents uh, are in the Eric, middle there, Eric, et yeah. L- l- let me jump in because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose the thread. Otherwise, oh, okay. I just did a really good um, and thought-provoking for me anyway interview with Jane Jun, and she's a political scientist over at the University of Chicago. Mm. And she said it's a slight myth that your average medium white woman is not a Republican in, in the United States. She says, yes, it, it, there are more likely, uh, Republicans are more likely male than female. But she said, um, Trump wasn't far wrong with his appeal to, in inverted commas, suburban mums, code for white, um, in the last two, two three months. That, um, yes, we had the midterms where it was, ostensibly women rejecting the Republican Party. But she comes up with a whole load of data as a political scientist and says mm-hmm. that uh, female, white female support for the Republican Party is still pretty strong. Not as strong as it used to be, but still pretty strong. And actually right. goes back into looking at uh, the 1960s and actually says that in, in the days of Don Draper and Mad Men, that actually mm-hmm. it was 
white women who were solidly uh, conservative in a way that men weren't back then. Right. So that that's one thing. I I've been saying fundamentally what you've been saying over and over to people and getting very different responses. Is it sustainable? Is it uh, desirable that you have, in effect, a white party in America? Because that's what we have. Don't let Senator Tim Scott fool you and um, the the odd person of color in the Republican Party. Right, yes. and it's, it's like, we're not a white party. We have a black guy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's our African-American. Yeah. You know, the very fact that, you know, Trump said, said that uh, in, in a rally tells you the Republicans are a white party. Right. I think it is to the utter detriment of politics going forward. We know there are these demographic trends in America that by 2040, 2042, whatever uh, survey you, you want to believe, yeah. but sometime soon in the next 20 odd years, uh, America will be a majority minority country. But, and here is the big but, that is only defined by what you see as being a minority right now. Ooh, any stu any student of history will tell you that the definition of what is classed as white has changed in the history of the, the colonies, which then became the United States. Initially, the Irish were not seen as white. No one, bar no one, would say they're not white now. When the Italians came at the end of the 19th century, initially they were not seen as white. They were not seen as black, but they were not seen as white. So there is a whole history of uh, America embracing groups which were not seen as white. And interestingly, um, this whole majority-minority thing kind of really hinges on what do you see Latinos and we have in in our in in the mind's eye the average white and African-American American when you say Latinos and let's take the state of Florida out of this they kind of mean Mexicans they mean Central Americans but in Florida that could mean Cubans and Cubans have a very different voting pattern and do not identify uh, with the same um, socio, uh, socioeconomic viewpoint that, let's say, the typical Mexican does. Right. Right. So if you look at uh, Latinos as being the, the largest growing uh, non-white group, a lot of these Latinos look pretty white. And for... Just for a case of illustration, Cameron Diaz is Latino. Cameron Diaz, in the mind's eye of the typical American, is white. Yeah. So um, this whole thing about majority-minority, right, if you turn around and you say, well, if you're going to look white, you're white. If you identify as being white, you're white. America is still going to be a majority-white country for the foreseeable future. We're not mm. talking about those brown-skinned Mexicans, right? And again, Cameron Diaz is the case in point. It's the difference between Cameron Diaz and Jennifer Lopez, just so people really identify with this. Jennifer Lopez comes wrapped up 
not just in brown skin, but she has the attitudes of a minority. She embraced her curves, etc., etc. Mm. These were not the norms of typical modal white America. Cameron Diaz, the clues in her surname, can identify as a Latino, but can pass for white. And culturally, she passes for white. So that's one thing. America has co-opted groups, nations, peoples, and said, ah, you're, you're part of the median. You are, you are part of what is American historically. It's going to be very hard for African-Americans to ever pass as white, right? It's going to be very hard for some native peoples and for some Latino groups. So that's one thing. That's a very un in that note, somewhat labored way, but hopefully I've done that to really illustrate my point. Yeah. So you're, you're making the case that because the definition, because who's kind of part of the majority group can shift that you think the, uh, to kind of bring it full circle, you think there is, a, there's at least a, you know, there's at least a path that the Republicans can continue to say, look, we're the party of, you know, we're the, we're, you know, we are not the party of diversity. We're the party of essentially white America. Um, and, uh, but welcome more people into the fold. So they expand their tent, not by saying, hey, let's get more diverse, but by, but by like the definition of who's white changing over time. So you have more and more people with, you know, with uh, names, names that have like little tildes on the, like Nunez, right? And Rubio, exactly. I guess he doesn't have a, a tilde, but like Rubio, like Marco Rubio is like essentially white, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and therefore totally welcome in the Republican party and they can, they can kind of power on that way. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, is it, there's another interesting kind of little, little coda to this. If you look at, um, Iranian Americans and how they are perceived, um, right wing American rhetoric is very anti Iran ever since the revolution. Right. And in the 1960s, 70s, um, Arabic Americans were kind of almost seen as white. Right. Not right. quite, but they almost were. Right. And then with America lining up very strongly pro the state of Israel, it kind of slightly flipped. And then Iranians are not Arabs, but the average American doesn't make the distinction. Right. They're all right. kind of the same. They're all kind of Middle Eastern and a little bit swarthy. Right. However, swarthy. <laughs> yeah, it's a dreadfully racially coded word, but you know what I mean. Right. OK. So interestingly, though, somewhere like Los Angeles, I think there's like one million uh, Americans of Iranian descent. The Kardashians are of Iranian descent. Mm. I would say that they are a group which can almost pass for white now. Right. They're not seen as other. Right. So you can see this happening. You know, there is no central committee on the in the Republican Party who sat down trying to work this out. Right, but of course. But, it, but it's how um, conservative parties actually think throughout the world. So going back to your central point, which is, are they going to, you know, do themselves out of existence? The answer is absolutely not. If there's one thing which has been really constant 
since the French Revolution in the Western world, it is that parties that see themselves as conservative mutate and change to hold on to the levers of economic power, the, of institutional power. They will do that uh, regardless of ideology, ultimately, oh, in a way that parties of the West come with a, with a, a more fixed ideology and then find it much harder to do. Much, yes. find it much harder to mute, mutate and change. If you are just, well, things were kind of good before, we don't want to change things too much, that is a malleable uh, political credo that you can do a whole load of backflips and change. Right. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One thing I'm, the reason, I guess the reason I'm, I'm thinking about this is it's also the case that the United States during times of great upheaval has also seen major shifts in party composition. So for example, um, 1860, the Republicans came about for the first time because the, uh, Whigs, I think, yeah, the Whigs had sort of collapsed, um, and lost their way. Lincoln led the Republicans into existence. Um, and you know, and then we had a big war about it. And then, uh, similarly in the 1960s or 1950s, really in the lead up to the civil rights movement, um, the democratic party was like heavily split in the South, uh, around, you know, around whether essentially whether to be like low key racist or like really hardcore racist. And, uh, you know, the Dixiecrats showed up and they actually won a bunch of electoral votes in, I think, the 1960 election and the uh, the Democrats in the South collapsed and they had to totally reimagine themselves. And the Republicans, you know, what what happened is these guys kind of like ran around each other. Right. And and each um, each started, you know, it, there was this, it was this like very chaotic, turbulent time for each party in, as they tried to cobble together new coalitions that I think, you know, all of us, all of us who are like not, you know, who weren't around for that tend to think of the, the parties as like fairly immutable, um, you know, like, oh, the Republicans, like, what do they have? They have like the South and the middle part of the country and, and the Democrats have like the North and the coasts and, you know. Uh, and and the Democrats are the party of diversity and the Republicans are the party of, of being white and just always been that way. And it's been that way for a while. I mean, 60 years is a long time. 
but I I wonder if there's what I what I'm sort of scratching my head about is like I wonder if the Republicans are backed into enough of a corner that there's room to um, that there's room to or that that there's going to be a compelling reason to shift. And one of the reasons I think that or that I wonder that is it uh, it really is the case that not a single um, like other, sorry other than Reagan. It has been decades and decades since someone um, actually won the election by more than 10%, like with a gap of more than of double digits. It's a it would be a clobbering. Um, and and we had thought for a while in the 90s and 2000s, like the age of, you know, just because of much more sophisticated, you know, media technology. And I wrote about this in Wedge, right? The ability to like to kind of micro-identify groups and and target them with specific messaging you know, just, just made the competitive landscape much, um, uh, much more competitive and, you know, allowed, allowed, um, you know, space for people to go slurp up these groups and essentially keep, keep the race always at least a little bit tight, right? Like, like Romney got blown out because he lost by five points. And, you know, what if Trump loses by 12 what if the Democrats really sweep up the down ballot and end up with 53, 54 seats in the Senate um, in a year that in 2018, you know, I, I remember after the blue wave in 2018, a lot of journalists were saying 2020 is going to be really hard for the Democrats. Well, they could go, you know, so does a landslide, does a, does a butt kicking change, um, you know, does it cause an existential crisis for the Republicans do the Democrats have an opportunity to try to like become dominant um, largely by like slurping up, you know, they're, they're doing a better job slurping up older Americans. They're winning over more Protestants. They're winning over more suburban white women. Um, and uh, yeah. And does that, does that cause a crisis? In 2012, the Republican party uh, under Rance Priebus wrote a document that said, we need to, expand our support in minority groups full stop trump ripped up that uh playbook by enthusing um out enthusing the democratic side but you've got to be careful yes. that is the standard the standard narrative where actually he got less votes but trump supporters were more pro-Trump, the base, than Clinton supporters were pro-Clinton. Yes. Right. That, 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 that's just fact. So there's an enthusiasm gap. And I've only ever really understood the enthusiasm gap in American politics by looking at the whole gun debate, that mm. the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans believe there should be greater checks around owning guns. Yep. But there are approximately 10% of Americans who believe in no checks at all, but their enthusiasm for their for their point of view far outweighs their size and sheer numbers. So they shout much louder and have the NRA putting wind into their sails, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. So there's an enthusiasm gap. Now, looking at the, uh, the demographic trends of voting in the United States, before FDR came to power, uh, most black people voted, most African-Americans voted Republican. Right. And still did, to, uh, and still did 
in large numbers up until the 1960s. Yes. And it's the 1960s which then flips that and the, and they, they become the African American vote comes synonymous with the democratic vote. So you can th th there is no divine right that uh people who are non-white should vote one way and people who right. white should should vote another and the utter irony is and it's one thing that in the previous report on where the republican party should go after 2012 they said that many african americans are socially conservatives as are actually uh latinos yes so when it comes when it comes to um gay marriage yes it was not the african-american community that was out there front waving that flag by any stretch of the imagination right so there are lots of untapped bits of support that the uh, a new more less identitarian white uh republican party actually has you know that they're there that there are votes there waiting for them but they've been um, hijacked the 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 party's been hijacked by this extreme american um isolationist a nativist that's the word i was searching for nativist viewpoint which puts um a 1950s view of what is an american first and foremost and has asked all americans to sign up to it and if you sign up to it you can only really do it comfortably if you happen to be white if it gets rid of that and basically says we, you are american if you're born here you are a, uh, we believe that you are american if you sign up to small government we believe you are american if you um you know support the stars and stripes blah 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 regardless of the color of your skin uh, there's a strong future for the republican party because as i yeah. said you know uh, many latino voters are not uh by any stretch of the imagination latte uh drinking liberals Right. And many aspects of uh, the black vote, and you look at you know look at it in the deep south, in places like Georgia and Mississippi, um, are actually culturally very conservative. Oh yeah, yeah. I I think you're I think you're bang on. And what I what I I get accused of being an optimist, and it's true. And often that optimism doesn't pan out. Um, you know, I happen to, for example, think like, think like this is a little bit of a, you know, the, the United States is going to go through this like very painful time, but it kind of needs it. And, um, you know, I'm a little scared because anytime, look, anytime, anytime you, uh, you know, any, anytime this level of chaos occurs, you can't know the outcome, right? You can't sit there and go like, okay, well, it's going to turn out fine, but um, I'd like to think it's going to turn out fine. And j j just so you you don't feel alone <laughs> in in this view that you're internal optimist, so, so am I. Yeah. And you know the 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 course of history does actually march towards uh, progress. Yes. It, ju it just it just isn't necessarily a straight path. Yeah, and it's like the stock market, right? Exactly. Exactly. And and, and I think 
Trump has given us all a lesson. And I'm saying this to my right of center leaning brethren right. as well, is that we've taken for granted civics, the commons and democratic norms. Yes, we have. yes precisely. And he has been such a jolt to the system. And that's the reason why I'm really kind of quite upset and shocked that so, that so many right-leaning politicians in the states have not come out and and denounced Trump in the way that they actually should. The things that he's said, some of the things he has said have been so anti-American and anti-democratic, but because he wraps himself up in the stars and stripes, he, he's got away with literally tearing up the Constitution. How could any American president who has his levers, uh, has his hands on all levers of state and power, delegitimize uh, bits of the government that are going to uh, collate votes. Yes. This is, this is coup territory talk. It really is, right? So, oh, yeah. Um, let's let's be, I mean, let's, let's not mince words here, right? The guy is saying, okay, what do I want? I want to throw out the ballots. Uh, I, you know, I, I've already just, you know, I've already decided that the, the election is going to be fraudulent. Oh, what evidence do you have of that? I don't need evidence. I'm just saying it's going to be fraudulent and I'm not going to accept the results. Why? Cause I don't want to. Why? Cause I know I'm going to lose. And now like now in his drug induced mania, which, which is, you know, look, if you don't it, like, don't like it too bad. Like the guy is, the guy is clearly having an episode. Um, but he's not only did he go to Bill Barr and say, you know what, just throw Joe Biden in jail. But then he told the world, I went to Bill Barr and I told him just throw Joe Biden in jail, right? The guy is, the 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 man is completely willing to completely openly say, yeah, of course I'm going to do, like, of course I'm going to do everything I can, no matter the rules, to stay in power. And if that means trying to, you know, if that means literally throwing my political opposition who's kicking my ass in jail, so be it. Hmm. The, 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 the thing is, though, right, um, as political um, watchers or at least people who have history as our guide, we, we, have to, we have to understand how we got here. And it's by incremental steps. And I use the example of Hitler, not because I'm not saying that Donald Trump is Hitler, because he does. Donald Trump doesn't have a fixed ideology in the way that Hitler did. Right. Yes. Right. Okay. Donald Trump did not even write the art of the deal. You know, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf. Yes. Right. So yes. Right, there, there, is, there is a difference. Right. Um, but when Hitler came to power, he didn't say, let's close down the Reichstag tomorrow. When Hitler came to power, he didn't um, abolish all rights for Jews the next day. It right. was incremental steps quite quick steps yes. but one thing needs to follow another you need to set the climate then then you put in the legislation then you burn down the right stag then you have the the crystal knacked and it goes on and on and on you don't do all these things on day one because right. you'll have too much opposition so um we have to as shocking as trump saying let's uh, imprison joe biden tomorrow uh, sorry today we have to understand all the things which he's done to sow just about enough confusion right. in people's minds to be able to get there. It's a, yeah, it's a great point. And I think it is the, 
you know, it's, I remember a friend saying, I just can't even remember all of the stuff, right? It's just this miasma in my mind. Like, it's like, yeah, I know Trump just does bad things all the time, but I even forgot that he did X. I forgot that he did Y. And he, it's an, it's an interesting strategy. I kind of like overwhelm, you know, overwhelm everyone with all sorts of like little stuff, um, you know, little tiny outrages that are none of which is enough to none of which is enough to, you know, get in a, a, a truly, you know, a, a true critical mass of opposition. Um, and every time, like, you know, every time something you do something really big and bad, uh, you know, if you just leave it out there, it dominates the headlines for days and days and days and people get to clamp on it and, and, you know, and, and someone else gets to take control of the narrative. So you do something crazy that, you know, something small and crazy again, um, in order to distract from it. It's a, it's a, it is a fascinating strategy, um, that, that seems to have worked fairly well for the guy. Um, part of my optimism, part of my optimism is that I think he's, he's run out of steam. I think the fact that he's getting beat so bad in the polls is a sign that, that, you know, look, people have like, He's 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 just trying to do more of the same thing to to win. It ain't gonna work. Um, he's gonna lose. Uh, I think he's gonna lose by enough that, of course, he's gonna say that the election was rigged, but won't be able to do much about it. And um, you know, and it's, I, it's amazing that somebody who talks about elections being rigged became the president on a minority vote. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the irony is not lost on the guy that actually through a massive quirk, his opponent got three million more votes, yep. but he is the president and he talks about an election being rigged. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about voter suppression or gerrymandering in this, co- right. uh, in this conversation. Yeah. And that's actually what that is the one elephant in the room. So we talk about the Republican Party, um, what they've successfully done in the last 10 years is to engage in voter suppression. And when you look at the actual figures of people being disenfranchised, it does run into uh, millions. But those millions, uh, when they're divided up via the battleground states, are quite significant because I forget if it's Wisconsin, somebody out there is going to be screaming at me now, but I'm going to say it's Wisconsin for the sake of argument. He only won that state by less than, uh, by about 50,000 votes. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are suppressing the vote, right. right so and making it harder for bits of the community who you suspect are not going to vote Republican to vote, that potentially has flipped that state. Oh yeah. And, so, and what's interesting is, is in the United States, we kind of accept, like we don't like it, but we, we, Except as sufficiently legitimate, uh, that kind of hanky panky, right? And and I'm I'm using a I'm using a jocular term for uh, for something that is horrible um, for on purpose, and it is because we kind of see it as like, well, okay, I don't like it, but uh, we'll accept the results from the state anyway, and um, and and. I think I, how do you fix that? I, I, you know, ultimately you need to have some, some national, you, you do need to have some national like voter law reform that says, you know, there are certain kinds of things that are, 
disenfranchisement and a violation of people's fundamental rights and you can't do them right and and once you pass that then groups like the aclu can use the courts to overturn this stuff but um so it's it's an easy fix if you can get enough people around it maybe having all three chambers will allow the democrats to do something like that but um but yeah it's it's that kind of stuff that's been going on for decades we've just accepted it as like you know kind of the state of the game and and like well you know we don't like, but, but like, good on you, Republicans, for winning all those state elections and and having the power to draw these lines and having the power to decide where voting machines go and stuff like that. Um, maybe we should have won all these state elections, we being the Democrats, uh, and and they they kind of accept it. It's bizarre. I, the more I understand how rotten. American politics is on the ground, on the state ground. The more I don't understand the lethargy of the Democrats in the last 10 years in terms of outlining nationally, not locally, but nationally, what is going on. If I was a conspiracy theorist, I, I, I would believe believing in all manner of theories that the the democratic uh, hierarchy are in bed with the Republicans and there is some kind of compact because actually if you were to look at the what well, the last five elections in the United States the Democrats have won you know the vote share is much higher than actually what's realized on the ground yes why there isn't hasn't been a drumbeat a constant drumbeat and a push for statehood for DC I'm yep. not even talking about Puerto Rico because I understand that culturally that um, is different from the mainland of the contiguous uh, United States. But like statehood for, for D.C., um, gerrymandering, which is destroying our democracy. You look at so many states where actually you look at the statewide vote and it's Democrat. But there's always more Republicans in power because of gerrymandering. They're, they're lumping or they're cracking Democratic voting uh, cities and towns and blocks. Right. And it should not be OK. The Democratic Party should not be saying, well, it's OK, because when we take back uh, the, the local state Senate, we're just going to do the same to the Republicans. No. The way that just about every other, and I'm going back to what I said at the start of our conversation, advanced democracy does is to have a national body which is which has very clear rules and they say these are the rules how we're going to draw constituency or right. district boundaries these are the rules and and it has to be based around a locality or localities that bear something in common so you can't automatically just go into a a big city and split it up five different ways knowing that overwhelmingly that city that liberal city votes Democrat and right. then lump it with massive republic, uh, rural Republican voting areas. You know, it's just other countries do this and I'm sick and tired of American exceptionalism and stuff when it denies people the vote. Yeah. Forget it. Just have a national body that's going to draw the boundaries or at least Every state body, and I think this is a slippery slope, but I'll accept it because you are the United States. Every state body has um, to interpret 
national rules. You can yes. interpret them yes. how you want, but you got. But he, these are the rules. Localities should where you know you say where possible because therein lies at the slippery slope. Of course, localities are a thing. Um, and then and when you draw up the boundaries, because there is a census, and the census uh, is how the the boundaries then are drawn up. Some other body then needs to certify these to make sure there's no hanky-panky going on. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't... I mean, yeah, to your point, like, it's not hard. Like, other countries pull it off all the time. Um, I'm actually a big fan of Ireland's uh, way of doing things, which is, like, heinously complicated. But, but look, the Irish, like... I mean, they do all sorts of crazy stuff, like multi, multi-seat multi constituencies, which is super cool, and rank-choice voting, and, like, woo, you know, just just, like things that make me salivate as a political scientist um, that everyone goes like, Oh, well, it's too complicated. We can never figure it out. It's like, look, the Irish figured it out. Like they are, the Irish are wonderful people, but they're not like fundamentally smarter than everyone else in the world. We can do it. Mm -hmm. And um, sorry, Irish, like you're cool, but, but like, it's, it's not like they're not special geniuses for being able to do this. It's just, they, they did it and they got educated in it. Um, Their body that redraws the districts is, um, is like, yeah, it's independent. It's super nonpartisan. It follows rules very explicitly, um, and it's just straightforward and clear. And and uh, you know, everyone in Ireland trusts the result of the vote. Everyone in Ireland, but like, understands the methodology going into it well enough to say, "Well, I may not like the outcome, but it was fair, right? It was it was a like the the way that all of our votes translated into." the um uh the parliament essentially uh was was fair and i'm i'm good with it so whatever the result is is legitimate and if i didn't win i'll get you next time but um yeah but there's no sense that there's no sense that people are constantly cheating and we just accept that here i don't i don't love it um and i wonder to what extent the democrats have the you know they kind of like tried to play mr nice guy and let's all work together in the obama era and it didn't work and so you know if they get a landslide if they get all you know if they get the presidency in the house and the senate and um you know i'm i'm not a i'm 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 not a lifelong democrat so i i you know there's there's probably stuff they'll do that i don't necessarily agree with but whatever um but I wonder to what extent they're going to say, look, we've got to fix this and prevent it from ever happening again. And, and are they really going to are they really going to truly push for, um, you know, voting reform uh, that the states have to follow? Right. In order. And they and the federal government has the right to do that. Like they have the right to pass laws that um, that enforce the rights and liberties of the Constitution, whether then- the states like it or not. But then you have the Supreme Court, then don't you? And then that is the other elephant in in the room when it comes to uh, this whole whole debate. That um, there has to be a packing of the Supreme Court to know that this is actually go- going to get through because you're going to have right leaning justices talking about straights rights, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. And I do not believe, and I'm the I'm the English person in, in this. I'm just an interested observer. But states' rights should not be trumping pun not intended um, civil rights, individual rights in in this regard. Um, so that is going to be the impediment here. But it needs to be overcome. It needs to be overcome. Congress and Senate need to 
put in place a plan and then it's signed up by a democratic uh, president that is going to get away with voter suppression and with um, gerrymandering. And for, for people who are listening to this, who are white and middle class, the voter suppression is as pernicious as being able, uh, be, being, having to vote and been waiting four to five hours to cast right. your vote because deliberately in red states where there are liberal uh, pockets of the population, so they suspect they're going to vote Democratic, you, don't, you do not put enough resources behind uh, that voting station, that polling station. Right. So your average white voter in somewhere like Texas, uh, for them to go and vote, it takes them less than 10 minutes because there's enough people manning that voting station. If you are young, so you're in a college town, or if you are a minority, it is in hours because deliberately there aren't enough polling stations. So uh, you have to go out of your community then to find them. And then when you get there, there's not enough people manning them. So you have to wait around. So the voter suppression is very clever and very pernicious. So they hope that people just go, you know what? No. Right. right. I, I just ha I do not have five hours to take off from my work day on a Tuesday, on a Tuesday. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The I, I you know, I think talking about packing the court uh, is a totally different kettle of fish. I. I happen to be, you know, in my in my eternal optimism, I happen to think that it won't be necessary for something like voter reform um, or voting rights reform, which is, I think, the the more accurate more accurate display of it. In part because I think, like the, I think I think Americans politicize the court far more than the justices uh, have politicized themselves, and um, you know, I I know we know like Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and uh, Roberts have voted against certainly what Trump wants many a time and uh, much to his chagrin. Um, do I think that, like, do I think a conservative court will, well, you know, I, I, I don't know well enough and I wonder uh, kind of long-term again, different, different kettle of fish. Like what is the, uh, what, what Pandora's box is opened by packing the court, but uh, you know, it's not up to me. So it's also going to be a bit of a, um, it's just, it's, you know, the, the thing that we get to do as podcasters is we get to, uh, blab however we want and sit back and wait and see. And, uh, cause, cause it's not up to us, but, um, but I, so, so maybe that's a, maybe packing the court is another conversation we can have after the election. But, um, but I think we, yeah, I think where we, where we got to today is, um, and I kind of like how it all came together. There was no plan, by the way. So for everyone listening, there was no plan. But where we got to today was, you know, we recognized that that with, you know, with the state of the game right now and this very, very strong and, and to Royfield's point, consistent um, uh, leaning towards the Dem Democratic Party that has been the United States, right? They keep winning, like in, in terms of like total votes, for Congress, total votes for Senate, total votes for the president, they have won repeatedly. 
and that's not reflected. Um, and and that's even again to Roy Field's point, that's even after all the voter suppression. Um, you know, there's a tension going on that the Republicans keep winning with a minority of support. You know, they keep getting the majority of representation with a minority of support from Americans. That probably won't hold forever. Um, and I think we we that's like the nugget I think that we're walking away with is that something's got to give, um, especially given how far the American public is leaning right now away from that, given that the Republicans managed to win in 2016 with a with a the, the like most the most uh, kind of egregiously minority candidate for president that they'd ever put up. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the destruction to the country has been, you know, has been substantial for it. And, and how do we get, how do we get the system back to one where you kind of have to cast a bit of a bigger tent in order to, you know, in order to win. And, and how do we get a system where, you know, by God, the will of, more people is represented rather than the will of fewer people. Mm. Uh, completely. And, and the thing is, as um, I'm no political scientist, but let's just say with my magical wand, uh, vote, voting, the vote, this new voting right act comes in in the next four years. And also running parallel to that because of the crushing defeat of Trump and Trumpism, um, that the Republican Party has this root and branch uh, inquiry, which comes out with change, which and has, and the Republican Party then has a, a voice and a tone which disavows right wing extremists very clearly, right. and also the evangelical uh, wing of the Republican Party is much more tempered. You know what? The Republican Party will be fine. It will yeah. just move and morph and it won't have to go into go in for voter suppression because it will right. be able to win conservative African-American uh, votes, conservative Latino votes. It will be able to win moderate uh, urban votes. Uh, american white american voice uh, votes the suburbs will 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 cleave back you know, what politics always shows you in any healthy democracy is that uh whenever there is a, a realignment there's always a political center and then parties right. define themselves uh looking at one center as opposed to another it's just that that center ground needs to move um slightly right. and in terms of um rhetoric it doesn't need to move an awful lot but the republican party is pushing itself further and further to this right fringe it just needs to course correct Right. And, you know, you look at somebody like like Nixon, of which and Nixon was vilified by people in the left. But actually, Nixon, EPA, that's Nixon. Right. Yep. Right. You know, opening Nixon, China. Yeah. Uh, Nixon voted for the Civil Rights Act. Yep. You know, so, you know, the Republican Party just needs to remember that it, it's not only a broad church, but also um, it's an inclusive church. Historically, it has been. You know. Yeah, yeah. Have I have 
really uh -huh. enjoyed this. And I also, unfortunately, I have another podcast to hop on to soon that I need to go prep for. No worries, man. This has been this has been a real pleasure. Um, um, thank you for having me on. Um, to you know, ever, to all y'all Mid Atlantic people out there, uh, if you want to, if you want to hear Xander and me take a uh, take our crack at American politics from like trying to understand political polarization um, a little bit better, uh, come check out Reconsider. Um, you know, maybe I'll I don't know, maybe I'll publish this on Reconsider too. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was actually going to say, I thought this was a reconsider. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a mid-Atlantic. Oh, boy. Let's just post it on both. Yeah, let's post it on both. Because I actually thought I was doing on your show, which is the reason why I didn't do my normal intro. So anyway, uh, so, okay. So if you're listening to uh, this on reconsider, this is very funny. Um, obviously, Eric and I are pals, and we didn't realize whose show we were actually on. So that, that, that's quite funny in and of itself. But if you are listening to this on the Reconsider feed, Reconsider is a, a wonderful uh, podcast. Uh, Mid-Atlantic is a little bit different. Um, as you heard me say many times. Not nearly as wonderful. Uh, oh, thank you. Um, I, speak to, I speak to people who agree with me and also disagree with me. Uh, I even did an, in, an interview with um, Jay Hill, who's the uh, interim uh, party leader of the Wexit party. So this is a party oh, wow. in Canada that wants to secede uh, Western Canada from the, yeah. from the rest of Canada. And Jay Hill is hardly a wacko politician. Um, he served in the last but one conservative government as their chief whip. So he's somebody who's very close to power, has been very close to power in Canada, and he wants Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and British Columbia to secede from Canada. So, And I do not agree with him. However, we can sit down and have a civilized conversation. And actually, I'd call him not quite a friend, but definitely somebody I could actually ha have a beer with. And that's the thing about Mid-Atlantic. We are left of center, but um, we are not, uh, there is not a whole load of vitriol um, to to and against uh, the other side uh so do we say that we're going to give you the facts and then you work you, then you work it out for yourself no that's reconsider's bag but are we hating of people that come with different political stripes absolutely not so come and listen to me and uh people who i interview and the pundit team at mid-atlantic or mm -hmm. um a nuanced left of center view uh, of yeah. the world I, I I endorse I endorse that that description. All right. Um, well, again, what a pleasure, Royfield. Uh, I let's let's figure out what let's figure out what we're gonna do. Maybe either like right before. Well, it's it's it is right before the election. Maybe right after the election, we'll chat. But uh, I'm gonna run screaming. So this has been um, a, a reconsider and mid Atlantic mashup, um, yeah. and we will uh, get together again. Uh, to view uh, the results of the November election and what it means not only for America, American politics, but also for the world and how it views America. And um, then, so um, we'll see you in approximately all two weeks, three weeks time uh, for another mashup where hmm, Eric will put his thinking cap on and <laughs> mine is never taken off. So you see you all again Perfect. soon. All right. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Good luck. Go vote and talk to y'all soon.
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.